What is up, bosses? Before we get started with the show, let me tell you about our brand new sponsor, SaneBox. Inbox Zero, it's a thing of the past. Nearly unachievable with all the emails and newsletters that we receive today. That's where SaneBox comes in. I just started using SaneBox myself to clean up my Gmail account, and it's already been a huge help in tackling nonstop emails. I'll tell you more about them at the break, but if you want to learn more now, Head over to SaneBox.com slash like a boss for a free 14-day trial plus a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash like a boss. Now on to this week's episode. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, bosses. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 185 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I am in my new apartment here in Kharkiv, Ukraine. And Derek is packing his bags because he is on his way to Ukraine as well. Yeah, I can't wait to check it out. And your new place looks pretty sweet there. Now, to remind everybody, I think your place in Kiev needs a little work, but this place looks pretty much done in, in Kharkiv. No, no, this one is 100% done. It, it came fully furnished with everything, with, with you know, a uh, full remodel. It came with all the furniture. It even came with two TVs. It came with the couch. It came with the bed. Like literally all I needed to bring were like pots and pans, some cups, you know, and some bedding. Everything else was included. And remind everyone what you paid for this place. I paid the same price as a brand new Toyota Avalon <laughs> or, like a, or maybe like a RAV4 premium or something. That is amazing. Um, that's, you know what, you, you paid... For an entire place, I think for the same amount that I pay rent for one year. <laughs> yeah, you know it, that might be the case, but you know maybe two years. But how much is your rent per month? Um, it's a little bit over two thousand dollars a month for a studio in Los Angeles. Yeah, so this is a one bedroom. So my place is is bigger, and for you know the, like a year and a half or two years rent, you can own this place, which is insane. Yeah, that's crazy. That's the kind of properties that I'm excited to check out when we're on our tour there. Yeah, so this week's episode is going to be about something completely different. But if you guys want to come out and hang out with Derek, me, and Sam, who just bought his, his flight as well, uh, as well as a bunch of other bosses who have actually confirmed, book your flights, guys, because it's, it's going to be a few days away. I know it's a little bit last minute if you haven't already uh, made plans, but... Ukraine is open and we would love for you to come. So all the information is inside the Patreon group. This is for Patreons only for supporters of the show, but just go to investlikeaboss.com, click on Patreon and all the info is there. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a really good chance for us to, you know, just celebrate that things are opening up again. We're kind of moving on with this thing. And to be honest with you, I started on the show like two weeks before lockdown. So I've never even met Sam or Johnny in person. So this is going to be really cool. And I'm excited to hang with you guys. You know, we've done Zooms and emails and phone calls and stuff, but it's just not the same. So it's going to be really fun. You know, what's funny is I was actually thinking about that the other day because I booked a like a three room apartment in, uh, in, in Kiev that all of us can crash in. And I was like, wait, have I actually met Derek in person? And I was like... <laughs> And I was like, I'm pretty sure I have because you, you, you're so familiar to me now. 
Yeah, like, <laughs> I know we're talking almost every day, but we've literally we've never been within a thousand miles of each other. Wow, that's insane. <laughs> and like, I, I think the, the funniest thing is we're going to show up and there's going to be something that we're going to be like, wait, you're six, seven, six, <laughs> three, not too far off. <laughs> really? See, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, like I, I knew there was gonna be something I'd be surprised about because when we see each other, we're like sitting down on Zoom. Yeah, it's gonna be totally different, but in a good way. So, uh, let's talk about today's episode. We got on Roger Corey. He's a he's a day trader. He's one of the OG day traders, really. And this is a topic that we haven't really touched on, and it doesn't really make sense that we haven't because this seems like the original like remote worker solution, I would say. It, it, it almost seems like something that I think would have appealed to you to do, Johnny. Did this ever cross your mind? Yeah, if I was also the type to want to play, you know, online poker as a uh, as a career. <laughs> and it just that was just never me. Like I, I always was very against gambling, uh, against, you know, day trading and against playing, you know, playing poker, even though, Turns out, you know, there are supposedly systems where you're not just gambling, you know, you're actually, whether it's playing poker professionally or day trading, you know, I mean, in a sense, it's exactly the same as, you know, Brian Tang with Art of FX and their Forex trading. There is a system where if you do it correctly, it can just, you know, it can earn money with limited downside. So this is something that I'm interested in hearing about, but definitely going into it, day trading and short-term stock investing uh, has never really been my thing. Interesting. So the, I think the perception of it is gambling and the reality is there's a risk, but I don't, I don't see it as full gambling. And I'm hoping Roger's going to touch on that and, and how he mitigates any type of loss, because this is something I'm interested in. It's just, it seems that the, the trades are really short term, but it seems time consuming to me. Like, and it'd be really stressful. I think. Yeah, I mean, or it could be really fun, right? I mean, you know, GameStop, yeah. you know, Hertz. Uh, I don't know whatever is the kind of new hot stock right now when you guys are listening, but I'm sure there's some hot stock where if we see the opportunity, you know, and we're like, oh, you know, that could have been a winner. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have FOMO of not investing in, in Tesla, like we, we talked about in the last episode with the, the FOMO uh, funds, but. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Cause I, I'm curious. I, I do have a very kind of hard long list of questions for Roger and in the outro, you and I are going to talk about our thoughts on day trading and invest as an investment kind of uh, plan. Yeah. And even last week we touched on, on the FOMO ETF. When we dug into it, we found that their biggest holdings, you know, were Verizon, Coca-Cola, uh, General Motors, whatever it was, these huge, you know, Fortune 500 companies, where even the ETF can't mitigate this type of risk to go in and trade like that daily. So when you're doing it on your own, it's definitely different, and it's and it's all your money. Whereas the ETF is getting money from all these other people, and they have to mitigate risk. They can't be, you know, doing crazy trades like that all the time. So let's see what Roger has to say uh, about all that and just, you know, day trading and, and working for yourself, essentially, the original remote worker, I would say. 
This week's episode of Invest Like a Boss is sponsored by SaneBox. Inbox Zero, it's a thing of the past. We're also inundated with email now that it's no longer about responding to everything. It's about responding only to the important things, the messages that truly matter. And that's where SaneBox comes in. Think of it as an EMT for your email. As messages flow in, SaneBox does the triage for you. It sifts through only the important emails in your inbox and directs all the other distracting stuff Stuff into your sane later folder so you know what messages to pay attention to now and what stuff can wait until later on. I actually just signed up for SaneBox for my personal Gmail address. It had over 130,000 unread emails. So crazy. Gmail was even warning me that my email was full. I mean, who fills up a Gmail account? Uh, apparently, I do. So SaneBox, right now, they're working on making a seemingly impossible amount of emails more sane and you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone anywhere you check your email see how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial and also a $25 credit when you visit sanebox.com slash like a boss that's sanebox.com slash like a boss for a free 14-day trial and a $25 credit it's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash like a boss. All right, Roger, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And you're in my favorite city in the U.S., in Austin. Yeah, it is beautiful out here. The uh, good old hill country. A lot of people think Texas is kind of flat and, and deserty and, and actually, uh, Austin is uh, the little oasis in Texas. It's it's green, full of trees, hills. It's it's really pretty. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have lakes not too far away, and good food, good atmosphere. People open minded. You have a good tech scene. It really is the best part of Texas, and probably one of the best cities in the U.S. I I would have to agree with you. I've traveled quite a bit, and I I've, I don't think I've ever felt more at home and felt more. Um, I guess the vibe here. You know, you really just. It, it, it's a there's a positivity to it there's an energy to it uh, just i've been the happiest i've ever been in my life uh, being in, in austin so it's been a blessing to be here yeah i love that it's, it's good you found it so what's actually kind of your background where'd you grow up and how'd you kind of get into this uh this lifestyle in this business so that's a great question i uh my, my parents immigrated uh from uh the country of lebanon I was born in Beirut, Lebanon. And so when, when we came here, I was four years old. My dad started a business. It was a little uh, uh, neighborhood market, junior market. And uh, growing up, I, I had to be there. It was the family business. So if I wasn't in school, I was literally at the at my dad's shop from nine in the morning till about seven or eight at, at night, sometimes nine at night. So you're talking easily on average 10 to 11 hour days, seven days a week. And that was my childhood. So I kind of missed out on my childhood. And that really affected um, my perspective on life because you know, when you're growing up as a kid and you're, you're seeing other kids go out and play and you're kind of stuck working and, and, you know, it was, it was just not fun for me. And so I, I really was challenged as a child. And I, and of course, you know, my dad, you know, did his best and everything, but being immigrants, having to work uh, full time, uh, being together as a family, um, you know, I felt like, you know, I was stuck. I was, I was, I never wanted to do that again. I never wanted to be stuck geographically or, or do something with, um, 
uh, in a career that would tie me down somehow. So that was a motivating factor uh, it, that in my teenage years started to drive an, an entrepreneurial spirit. And I started to look for ways that I can build my skill set and value in life where I could get into something eventually that wouldn't tie me down, wouldn't be uh, geographically dependent, um, and that would give me time freedom. So that that really drove uh, my search for whatever I could find in the world. And it, initially, I used my my business uh, experience, having been in the family business, um, actually quite by accident, I turned into a kind of a business development consultant. Um, and it was, I'd always kind of just been a word of mouth referral kind of a person. I never really pushed uh, myself in a way where I think most people would, would drive to kind of get as big as they can. I always enjoyed the relationship aspect. I, I'm very extroverted and very social that way. So that initial success with business, I think with, as you know, as a business owner yourself, you know, anytime you've got some success with business, kind of a natural place to look to leverage and grow your capital further are the capital markets, the financial markets, right? So in 1996, the, it just worked out that the, uh, the trading revolution was kicking off. So that, that's when I got really excited and interested and very passionate about trading. And, um, you know, from, from there, I guess, uh, you know, we can talk about kind of what, what I did uh, over a 14-year period before I ended up developing my own um, uh, kind of analysis and, and forecasting uh, methodology. But, but th that's really kind of how I got into trading. And, and my mindset was always about what can I do? Uh, to be able to uh, live the life I want. And, and my, my focus was mostly on my time freedom. I never really was a, uh, into material things. Um, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I live a good life, but I, but I don't need to, I don't, I don't need the, the bling bling stuff. I just mm -hmm. want to, I, I want to be able to enjoy my time freedom and, and I value that the most. And so it's a lot of what I try to instill in my clients now, nowadays, but, but that really was the driving force uh, to get into trading. Do you still remember the first stock you ever bought and how you picked it? Oh my gosh, it was Home Depot. <laughs> um, the way that I picked it was, um, it was just, they were talking about the interest rates. Uh, uh, there was just a bunch of stuff on the news about Home Depot. And I uh, and I thought, well, back then I, I, I wanted to do something that I felt I had some control over. So I, I, I got into options first and, you know, cause options, you've got to, you could risk a, a limited amount and, and, you know, that, that's it. So I got into that and I, and I, uh, I think I, sh I think if I'm not mistaken, I shorted Home Depot stock, um, I, or I bought a put on it. Right. And it was the most amazing thing in two hours, I had doubled my money on Home Depot. And that, and I think that was, uh, that really drove everything. The excitement of being able to double your money in a couple of hours was incredible. And, and that just, that lit my, uh, my fire and, and, uh, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. It's definitely exciting seeing stocks grow. Uh, and it's also a bit addictive. So kind of what are your <laughs> thoughts on, you know, the kind of gambling aspect of, trading or picking individual stocks versus buying something like an index fund where it's much kind of safer and over time, it just generally goes up. So that's a great question to unpack. Actually, I think if we step back and look at um, the word investing and the word trading, um, and, and, and let's kind of set, a, a, uh, set the stage for that. You know, anytime you're, you know, you're investing, you're always trading your money for the opportunity to make more. So, so in fact, investors are traders. They just don't identify with the trading uh, concept, which is as, as traders, uh, 
they're investing too. They're just investing usually in, in shorter cycles, smaller timeframes, but they're investing their money for the opportunity to make more. So, so really, whether you're investing or you're trading, you're really doing the same thing. It's just the mindset that seems to be associated with either of those terms. So if, if you, um, as a person, anyone you know listening, identifies themselves as an investor, generally what that tends to do is it, it puts them in the mindset where they uh, do a lot of due diligence, they're very thorough, and they have a well-rounded understanding of the risks and opportunities, right? And, and, and that is, of course, associated with being more conservative. Traders, on the other hand, ironically, um, when they're in that mindset, they're not thinking about the fact that they're actually investing. They actually see themselves as um, opportunists trying to grab opportunity, and that's really the problem. So if, if we can step back and say, well, wait a second, they're both investing, right? And if you're looking for the short-term versus long-term, it doesn't matter. You're still trading your money for an opportunity to make more. So I think when people change their perspective on what they're doing, that really changes their approach. And one of the things that I had an epiphany on was, and it took... Unfortunately, it took me 14 years to figure this out, but, but I thank God I did because when I did, it changed everything. It made up for all those years of trial and error and inconsistency and frustration because all of a sudden I started to realize, wait a second, there's a lot more to the market if I'm going to trade it than what most people seem to focus on. And, and if you think about what traders do versus what investors do, traders will look at technical analysis. They may look at some fundamentals. They may look at some news. And that, that's about the majority of what they'll look at. But, but there's actually eight major forces of supply and demand that are affecting price action, whether, again, you're investing for the long-term or short-term. And, and here's, here's the eight that I think people miss out on and what blindsides most people that causes a lot of the inconsistency. It, it's They're focused on two or three of the eight factors. So there's like you know, at least five or six others that are sitting there that blindside them, they have no idea why things occurred the way they did. So if you think about it, you've got fundamentals, which is traditional Graham Dodd, Warren Buffett style forces. You've got the geopolitical forces, which include central bank, macroeconomic effects, and even tweets today, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. volatility, right? Uh, and the different shifts there. You've got market sentiment, Okay, that has an impact on the market. You've got the liquidity levels, all right? That, that includes volume, order flow, trade flow. Um, and then you've got prime liquidity pools. And, and that's something I, I've, I've kind of, I coined that term because it, it represents areas in the market where uh, to the unwitting person, they, they don't know that there's a, a prime area of liquidity where the, the, that on the chart would seem to have a level of support or resistance. But then when people think, oh, here's a level of support I can count on, and they put their stop just underneath that, let's say, and then they get whipsawed and watch the market go without them. Well, they've just experienced an, a, a prime liquidity pool where a market maker or broker knows they have the ability to manipulate for a, a short period of time and, and then kind of push their weight there and get a better price average, stop hunting people and then and then running and then get letting the market run up. Those are those are also places where algorithms tend to uh, congregate. And so that so mm -hmm. that's something that has to be considered. Most people have no idea that that exists. And then of course you've got the imbalances in supply and demand. And, and lastly, believe it or not, is technical analysis factors and, and its effects on the market. And that takes into account Fibonacci, Elliott Wave, GAN, all those things. When you look at all those things together combined and their combined impact on price, now you can actually invest, even if it's a, you know, for 15 minutes in and out, you're actually now investing 
rather than just that typical classic mindset of opportunists just looking for opportunities to get in and, and make money. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense because, you know, in my like own, own experience, there's been times where a stock should be, you know, a company should be worth, you know, X amount, but because of market sentiment, which is something that people don't really talk about or consider, mm-hmm. you know, the stock price might be much higher or lower than it actually should be. Like it should be valued. You know, Tesla is probably a good example or, yeah. um, you know, Facebook stock, you know, five or 10 years ago. And that was actually the first stock I ever bought. And, and the reason why I bought it was I had a, a friend who I trusted and was a smart guy. And he said, like, it's, it's strange. The, um, that, you know, the quarterly reports came out and they're earning, you know, the earnings are high, but the market's not reflecting it. So I invested and that's kind of the first one I jumped in as well. So it, it makes sense that there's, you know, not just, uh, the kind of the face value the technical analysis, uh, of what a stock is worth. Yeah. And, and actually think about what you do and what Sam does when you guys look at, cause I, I know you guys are diversified in, in, and so, Think about your attitude and your approach when you're looking at things outside of just the stock market. Um, I mean, obviously, the stock market, when you're investing for the long term, you do sit and, and look at a, a bunch of other factors, normally more than you would as a, as a trader would in, in the trading mindset. And, and if you just kind of took that, um, that approach and realized that, that that really applies equally to a short time frame, just as it does to a long time frame magic begins to happen. I want you to think about this concept. Uh, let's, let me ask you a question, which is which the answer is going to be obvious, but, but just hear me for a second. Why would you or anyone want to trade the market? What's the point? Uh, to trade for more money. <laughs> for more money, right? You want to make more money, right? So, so that's yeah. true. Now, now, now watch how our logic will deceive us. Okay. See, you've, you've noticed, you've seen a lot of people who are really smart and intelligent, but they do very dumb things. And it's because they're using logic and, and life doesn't always work out so logically. So if you're in the market to trade because you want to make more money, it's very logical then to look for opportunities that are likely to make you money. Right. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But, but now notice what happens the minute I tell you to shift your perspective and instead stop looking for opportunities that are likely to make you money. Rather, I want you to look for opportunities that are not likely to lose money. Mm -hmm. You see how that changes your perspective and that changes your results because suddenly now you're focused and aware of the risks versus the opportunity. It's a little bit like when you're driving your car and you're running late to an appointment. You ever have that moment where you just want to get through that intersection, you know, just before it turns red or as it's turning red. Now, you know how to drive, you know, the rules, you know, the law, but all of a sudden everything just shifts and you're no longer objective. You become very subjective. You become emotional because you have now uh, a target in front of you and you're so laser focused on getting to the intersection that you're not really aware of the fact that the cross traffic that stopped, there's a car coming that doesn't seem to be realizing there's a red light and it's going to run and T-bone you, but you're not paying attention to that because you're focused on just getting to the intersection. And so when we have such this, this laser focus, if I want to make money, we're not looking at the risks the way that we normally would if we just take a step back, slow down and have a well-rounded approach. And so that's what really drove me to develop um, what I call market vulnerability analysis. I innovated a mm. process that allowed me to use a probability-based approach, measuring all the factors of supply and demand, all eight that I just discussed. And that gave me an ability to start to accurately forecast the evolving risk factors in the market so that I could tell with now it's been 10 years, no less than an 80 to 90% level of accuracy 
where the market is actually um, worthwhile engaging and when it's not. And it turns out 70 to 90% of the time, the market isn't really worth engaging specifically in the short term. Mm-hmm. So okay. you're really learning how to say no with the methodology. And, and by actually, see, making money isn't the hard part, it's keeping it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you know how to, how to keep it, right? Now you're, you're able to have steady, consistent growth that you have more control over. And ironically, you know, people will find that that actually becomes even more conservative than longer term or even like real estate investing. It's a phenomenal experience when people get into it. It's surreal for the first few months because it feels like this can't be true. I mean, I'm, I'm doing it, but it, it seems too good to be true. And it takes them a while to acclimate that there's no other shoe that's going to drop, that this is their new norm. <laughs> that, that, you know, that's really interesting. So I've never heard that concept before where, or the strategy before where sometimes it's just not a good time to be investing. Uh, yes. For, for example, right now, it's, you know, basically the beginning of, of July when this, when this comes out, you know, end of June. Uh, is this, you know, how would you know if this is a time to, to buy or to sit out for, for the next, you know, you know, weeks or months? Now, now that right there is, is the best question a person asks because that leads us to a realization. And, I, and, and to help just give you kind of a, a, a simple cl- uh, analogy here to, to, to put this in perspective, think about weather for a moment. Now, we know that we've got weather forecasters who use the same instruments anywhere in the world to do the same job. They apply the same process to forecast when we've got poor weather conditions coming, a storm, or what, what have you, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, the further your weather forecast goes out in time, the less accurate it is because there's more available variables that can come into play that you, there's no way for you to take into account. But the closer you are to your forecast, so say we're forecasting a, a severe you know, storm this afternoon or tomorrow or the next day, those weather forecasts tend to be more accurate because they're closer in time. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. So in the market, utilizing this approach is measuring all the environmental factors that create situations in the market or conditions where the environment's conducive for a market to correct significantly or crash, right? When you can measure these and identify them objectively, now you have a level of clarity on the fact that the market right now is in, in a stormy environment and it's actually not worth considering going into. It's best to stay out. And so by understanding what condition the market is in, you're able to take defensive action proactively rather than reactively. And I would, I would counter this. Long-term investing from this perspective, understanding this analysis model will, will shift your perspective from long-term, which traditionally would seem more conservative, now suddenly becomes more speculative because you, mm-hmm. you have less of control and a handle on long-term where short-term, it's right in front of me. I have a lot more control and I have a lot more peace of mind because at night I can go to bed, my money's back in the account. I don't have to worry about what happens overnight, wake up with a a shock or a surprise. And so, and I think especially during this time, we're seeing a very volatile period of time in the market where there's a lot of uncertainty. So there's only very short pockets of opportunity that you have a high probability for an outcome and then they're gone. So you want to be, you want to really be more, um, uh, I guess, stepping back and, and, uh, and, and more careful with when you want to enter, but you you want to shift your focus to a short-term perspective where you have a lot more control on what's going to happen, what you can expect, 
and know that you have the odds stacked in your favor for that period of time versus sitting and hoping that three or six months or a year from now, something will work out for you. Does that, I don't know if I answered, did that answer your question? Yeah, it makes sense. So the last probably two years or so have been very volatile and also, you know, stocks in general have just seemed overpriced. Can you give us an example, you know, during those last few years when, uh, what's the time you you went in and, and why? So I, I no longer, it's been 10 years that I've, that I've actually even um, uh, considered anything outside of a, a, a one or two hour window. So when you have this level of, of analysis, it's, 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 um, it's produced in real time. You're able to see in the moment what you can anticipate uh, happening in the market over the next half hour, hour, two hours. Now you can apply that same analysis over a two or three day period or a two or three week period, and even two or three month period. The problem is the market right now is not in an area where the conditions are conducive to be forecasting with any um, dependable level of, of, of accuracy or odds that you can count on beyond a day or two. So for the last 10 years, I literally only focused on what can I do in a one to two hour period. And in fact, I, I, very much am a proponent of having my clients never spend more than 10 to 15 hours a week um, to trade the markets where they're committed to the charts. So we're talking two to three hours max per day for them to go in and, and come out and accomplish what they want. They have at least an 80% or better win rate, right? And then and that allows them to have a level of control and a, and a way to beat the market without gambling on the outcomes or being stuck holding on to large drawdowns or, or you know, avoiding that inconsistent performance experience. So, so honestly, I, I haven't had a time where I've done anything on the longer term, much more than two hours uh, mm. at a time. So can you give us an example of what you see during you know, that, you know, you're like, oh, wow, the next two hours is going to be good. Or the next, you know, right now it's good. I don't know how long it's going to last, maybe an hour or two, but like, what is an example of something that you see in the market or in a stock that you you know you hit, hit the green button or hit the gas. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know when you're looking at a chart, you're looking for environmental conditions that show you that there's when when price is at a um, coming into a level of support or resistance, is there a high probability for that reaction off that support or resistance to then generate a move that is going to be minimally moving um, in a direction where when you look at how much risk you'd have to take into account, is there enough reward, you know, equal to or greater than the risk that you're taking? And are the odds stacked strongly in favor of that occurring 80 or 90% or better? Only when you see a condition in the market, when you've got at least an equal amount or greater in return than what you'd have to risk. And by the way, risk is always capped. Your downside risk is always a maximum of 2%. And so, which is funny because, you and I have grown up learning the risk reward paradigm is, hey, if you want more return, you need to be willing to take on more risk. And if you want you know, less risk, then you have to be willing to accept lower returns, right? That's the risk reward paradigm. That's traditional. This flips that on its head where you can cap, right? You can limit and restrict your downside risk without limiting or restricting your upside potential. And so if you see an opportunity in that moment in time, and you can see that you've got a time frame of about half an hour to an hour for that to resolve, and the conditions are not stormy in the market because you can forecast the market. You can forecast a price move going from point A to point B. That doesn't necessarily make it tradable. So think about that for a second. If, if we can forecast a storm is coming tomorrow, all right, that also means I shouldn't be planning to run my errands in the middle of the storm, right? 
So just because the market's forecastable doesn't mean it's tradable. So we want to forecast a, a market condition that's not stormy, where we have a high probability for a target being hit and where the reward is equal to or greater than the risk I'm taking. That is when I'll press go and get into the market. And usually most of those will take on average about a half an hour or less to resolve. So it's very efficient, especially when you're dealing with like an index, like an S&P. It's, it's so deep and, and very liquid and very easy to get in, get out. Uh, that's the most conservative and controlled approach to generating the kinds of returns I think people want to see in the market without any real stress, without holding out to large drawdowns or gambling on the outcomes, if that makes sense. Okay. So to kind of use that as an example, the S&P, just because it's a kind of very broad, easy thing that most people listen, you know, uh, have probably either invested in or, or at least understand. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of you know the, the past where you saw you know the opportunity to to buy S and P for you know whether it's half an hour or two hours? Yeah. So what happens is one of the things that you'll see is uh, the methodology is is very adept at showing you there's a clear imbalance with where. Uh, the demand factors are from where price is at. So if you can imagine, um, you know, let's just say, just we'll, we'll give a, let's use real estate for a second, okay? It's Because it, it's the same thing, but but this is something I think people can in, envision. You go in a neighborhood, the neighborhood, the average median price of the neighborhood uh, home is, is a half a million dollars. And, you know, you, and the demand is people are, are now paying about five or 10% above uh, the asking price in that market. Okay, great. And so, you happen to find a home where uh, there's some family situation going on and uh, they just want to get out of it. There's a divorce or something going on and, and, and they just want to, they'll let, they're willing to let it go for 400,000. Okay. Well, you know, there's an imbalance there. You can get that house for 400,000, but demand is at 500, you know, 550,000. And if you walk around and you see, well, you know, there's really not much that this house needs and repairs uh, probably, uh, you know, you could put about, 20,000 into it, you've got a pretty healthy profit. That's a very high probability outcome, right? For success. And in the market, in the the S&P, for instance, you'll see that the price is at an area that that does not reflect where demand is. Demand would be significantly higher. And when you measure where demand is and look at the factors that can interrupt the, uh, the, the price to going and hitting that target, if they're really uh, not relevant to the, the uh, where the demand is. So, in, as an example, let's say the uh, the, the market's at um, well, we could pick any price you want, but the point whether it's going to go, let's say it's ten points below where demand is, minimally, it's going to go at least seven or eight points before it runs into any kind of let's say resistance that might cause the market to stall out, consolidate, and then maybe continue up to reaching ten points above or retracing back. Well, you know now you have about an 85 to 90% opportunity to, to capture the first seven points. And that's where you go in and you essentially put in your liquidity, right? You provide your liquidity and help bring the market where you get to ride along and profit as the market rebalances back to where demand is. And then as soon as you hit that target, you come out because after that, the probability for it to continue will usually turn into a 50-50. So it becomes a gamble from that point on. Sometimes you'll see it actually following through and there's, there's actually more demand coming. So that's a, a point in time in which, in which you say, okay, wait a second, there's reason to continue here. You take some of your profits off uh, just to uh, you know, limit your downside risk in case anything unforeseen occurs. And you can continue to ride up 
further and profit beyond your initial objective. But those are things you'll be able to measure in real time and know based on the conditions, whether they're evolving favorably or eroding right against okay. you. So I like the, the house um, example, because that's something that everybody can understand. How does that actually look you know, in the case of S&P? So how do you know that the demand is you know, uh, at a five hundred thousand dollar you know house level, and you know, and while they're selling for four hundred thousand, what does that look like? So, what I developed uh, was a kind of a I was able to combine all of those major factors in, into kind of a smooth indicator at the bottom, where, where it kind of tells me what's fueling the market, where the demand factors are in real time. So, think of it like a fuel gauge in your car. If you and I wanted to get in your car and, and take a 250 mile drive down the coast, okay, but we got in the car and you and I both saw that the uh, your fuel tank said you have a quarter of a tank of gas left. I mean, instantly, visually, you know, you don't have enough gas to go 250 miles down the road, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're applying market vulnerability analysis, you're looking at all the different conditions, and then at the bottom of the chart, you're seeing this fuel that says, "Wait a second, um, And let's let's say you could actually chart the housing market in a particular house. On the chart, you'd see the demand is equal to five hundred thousand which is what would be reflected. It's kind of like the fuel gauge, right? It's a fuel gauge showing you that you've got enough fuel to go to five hundred thousand, but price is at four hundred thousand. Right. So that's a prime opportunity for you to get in and know that you have, you know, 80, 90 percent of the time you're going to hit your target. And, and the 10 or 20 percent of the time that you don't, your downside risk is capped at, at 2 percent. Does that make sense? And when you say, yeah, when you say it's kept at 2 percent, is that because you're trading an option? No, actually, um, it, it, it all goes uh, down to just how you position size. So uh, your risk management is going to be very critical here. As you engage the market, you're always um, applying a very consistent risk management strategy. So, so your risk is always, your position is always capped so that you never allow yourself to go into a drawdown beyond 2% of your, your trading account, for example, whatever that number is. So it doesn't matter how much money you've got in your account, 2% of that account is what you'll uh, have to risk at. And if you, you can risk less if you want, but we never risk more. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's say my account you know, is $10,000. Uh-huh. Like, what do you mean I, I'm, I'm, I'm limiting it by, by, you know, by 2%? So, so you would, um, the position that you would uh, take and execute on would essentially be equal to, so that if you lost, right, and, you put, and it hits your stop loss, you would lose no more than $200 of your 10,000. That's 2%. Okay, so we would set a a a stop loss. So uh, if the you know if for whatever reason the S and P goes up uh, while we thought it was going to go down, it'll automatically sell. We lose two percent. No big deal. Correct. Correct. Okay. And 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 you would never initiate a position unless you knew that you had an eighty to ninety percent probability of at least earning two percent or more. Right. So you're never risking more than what you can make when you initialize a trade, and that allows you to kind of, especially when you have an, at least an 80% or better accuracy, what happens is you know that you're never going to find yourself in a drawdown or in the negative um, for, for very long. You might you might have one or two that, that occur, but, but those are going to be far and fewer in between. And so you can have a very steady, very consistent approach to the market that doesn't really stress you out. Okay. So Roger, like you seem like a very smart guy. And, but there's also a lot of very smart guys working for you know mutual fund managers, there are hedge fund managers, but just in general, you know, kind of uh, out of, you know, let's say a thousand, uh, you know, people with, with systems, 
most of them end up not beating the S&P. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I and the reason for that is really just because they're looking at a limited scope of factors that, that are pushing prices, okay, forward, you know, uh, up, down, sideways. And so when you look at those factors together combined, and I think that one of the missing pieces of the puzzle is I think most people are so focused and have been kind of trained to focus on the long term that they miss out on the fact that that actually uh, puts them at greater risk because there's a lot more variables that are going to happen. There's no way for them to control or take into account. So part of the problem with beating the S&P for a lot of these funds is their mindset is focused on the long-term approach and, and that it just kind of works against them by, by default, right? That's an inherent flaw in the approach. And, and that's a fundamental problem. But, but it, of course, approaching the market with all the traditional tools that people approach today, even using AI, you know, it, it's the same thing. So MVA, which is, you know, short for market vulnerability analysis, it, it takes a different approach. It actually works with what's happening right now in real time. And, and you, and based on what the conditions are, you're able to efficiently and effectively get in, get out with so much more control. And that's what enables you to beat the market with, with consistency. And I, and I'll tell you, um, it, it's hard to believe at first just because, well, well no one else is, is, is beating the market long-term like that, but we've got now 10 years and dozens of, of students that have applied this. And, and I, by the way, I should say, I never intended to teach this. <laughs> I actually did this. I developed this out of my own desperation and developed it for myself. But when I had accomplished my own goals, it, it gave me what I, what I really wanted in life, which is time freedom. And so people would see me every day out during the working hours, hanging out, spending time at church, helping the, the old ladies there, <laughs> just you know, uh, volunteering my time and uh, socializing with friends. And it's like after a while, people would say, "Hey, man, is what's you're, you're living well, but you you don't seem to be working when everyone else is out working. You're you're out hanging out and socializing and volunteering your time. What do you do? What are you doing?" And and when I tell them, they started to ask, "Wow, would you be willing to teach me?" And I thought, "Well, I mean." they're not going to compete against me in the market. That's that. I'm not worried about that. And I thought, yeah, and, and I'd, I'd love to teach. And it was fun. It was very rewarding for me. And that kind of grew and took a life uh, of its own. And, and actually 90% of our clients come as a word of, as a result of word of mouth referrals. So uh, for me, um, it, it is a little bit of a, you have to kind of see it to believe it, which is why we do everything in real time. Cause you can't fake you know, a live market, right? If you're forecasting the market's going to do something right in front of everybody, in front of a live audience, you're either going to get egg on your face or, you know, they're going to go, wow. <laughs> so for 10 years, I've always kind of made it a point to just uh, show them in real time. For the first two years, actually, we spent, I think, three to four hours a day, four days a week for about two years in a, like a live trade room to just display the accuracy of this forecasting methodology. And, um, yeah, and it and obviously it takes courage, right? Because you, you know, if you have egg on your face, you're going to ruin your reputation. Uh, but it just shows how confident I am in the methodology, always delivering, because it's very principle based. It's not something that you try and hope it works. It's like, uh, you know, if you, it's like gravity, right? It, it just is, right? So if you, if you apply it diligently, you're going to get the results. It's, it's impossible for you not to. So I, I don't know if I, if I was, if I answered you, give you the answer you're looking for. If you want to unpack that a little more, feel free to ask me. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. I mean, another kind of um, argument people would have is for the last 10 years, we've basically kind of been in a, in a bull run. You know, we've had, you know, some some dips here and there, but in general, you know, the markets have been going up. Like, uh, kind of what are your thoughts on 
you know, what would happen in the next recession? Well, I, I love that question. That is the question everybody should be concerned with when they've made any money and had any success with the market. Can you repeat your success? Can you can you repeat your decisions, right? And and be successful. So, uh, you know, in a bull run, right? All boats rise with the tide. And that's one of the dangers and the deceptions that people kind of uh, fall in this in this trap of thinking, well, I accomplished something, therefore I must I must have a handle on something, right? I must know something. You know, they think they've got a strategy where if they just hold on to the market, it'll eventually recover. That works while it's a bull market, but what happens when it shifts? I've, I have a, a relative that lost, I think, 15 years of his investing gains in two weeks in the 2008 crash. You know, and and so um, the methodology. What's interesting is in this bull run, when I look at people's uh, trade logs, uh, I notice that there's usually around a 60 percent to as much as 70 percent um, uh, percentage of, of shorts versus longs. So, so, so that kind of tells you something there all by itself, right? So they're, they're actually shorting the areas that are exhausting and retracing during this bull run. And so they're, they're actually short more often than they are long. And, and that is a testament to all by itself that, that kind of reflects that it really isn't um, uh, dependent on a direction. You can make money whether the market's going sideways, whether it's going down or going up. And that's really key for long-term sustainability. You want to be able to forecast which direction the market is going to go favorably for you and know that the odds are stacked in your favor. And, and, and to this point, I want to add one more thing, and I apologize, I'm probably rambling here, but uh, one thing that we need to keep in, in mind, understand that the market um, may seem like it, it can suddenly crash or suddenly correct, but that's actually a, a myth. Um, if you look at the different uh, factors, the demand factors we talked about, all eight, you're going to realize that the market will never be able to crash or, or correct significantly unless the environment for that to occur is actually present. So you actually have to have the conditions there that are allowing the market to do that. And then it's just a trigger. Something will trigger the market to then collapse. So think of it like this. If you walk outside under a clear blue sky, it's impossible for it to start raining over your head because you need a cloud over you, number one. And just because it's cloudy doesn't mean it's going to rain. You have to have the right conditions for that cloud to produce rain. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that yeah, gives so you tremendous control. I think a lot of people are going to be interested in your, your academy. How can they learn more? Absolutely. The best way to go uh, find out a little bit more about us is through marketforecastingacademy.com. And if they go there, um, the first thing that's going to show up is they'll have an ability to um, grab a copy of my financial markets manifesto. But before they do that, I would suggest scrolling through that homepage, looking down, there's a there's a, a good video. Um, I was in, invited to as a guest on uh, Bob Iacchino's show, um, Pure Exposure. And I, you'll see that. I think it, it'll, it'll really open people's eyes to where, you know, how something like the coronavirus that seemed to catch a lot of people by surprise. Well, for us, we were able to be in the moment and, and be able to forecast that. And there's some interesting insights in that video. So I would watch that uh, on the homepage, but, but then definitely grab the Markets Manifesto, uh, Financial Markets Manifesto on uh, marketforecastingacademy.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, Roger. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Enjoyed my time. Okay, Johnny, that got me excited to day trade. And when we're recording this right now, the market just opened. I know it's getting late there for you, but I think I'm going to do a little test run right after this interview. Are you serious? I might. It's just... (laughs) 
I get I get hyped up about this stuff. And, you know, I like to be a guinea pig. <laughs> oh, my God. So are you just going to do it purely based on what you heard in the interview? Or are you actually going to join his course and, and see what he's, he's talking about? I'm going to look into the course, but I, I don't have time to do the whole course today. <laughs> Oh my God. So Derek, we secretly have you here as kind of the everyday man. Because as like, <laughs> every time Sam and I think, there's no way in heck anyone's going to be, you know, <laughs> uh, brash enough to invest in XYZ. Derek's like, yeah, actually, I'm invested in that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you guys... You guys are so burnt out from doing, you know, hundred plus investments and I'm pretty fresh to the show still. So, you know, I got to get, I, I got, you know, 50 tax documents a year, you know, what's, what's 50 and then going to 70, what's the difference. So bring it on, let's do it. And something like this is easy, honestly, to execute because, you know, I, I use TD Ameritrade, you know, I use uh, Charles Schwab, you know, it could be anything, any of those platforms, Robinhood, whatever you use it's all the same. It's all going to go in the same form at the end of the year. And it's fun to experiment a little bit. And personally in my space, um, I'm saving over half of my income. So it's, it's the fact that if I lose it, I'm not going to not be able to pay the bills. <laughs> all right. Well, if you need, uh, I have a, a couch that turns into a bed here in Ukraine. So you can always move in with me if you can't afford to pay rent. Yeah. If anything, I think I can, uh, get some rent from you for what, $200 a month over there. Sound good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the living room. Yeah, sure. We can do that. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. One thing I thought was really interesting though, was that he's, he's got the mindset of, you know, as investors, you know, obviously I own index funds and more safer bets as well too. It's just that he says it's, it's the same thing, really. You're, you're just trading, you know, $1 amount for hopefully a higher amount down the road. Just his road is a lot shorter. What do you think of that? That you're, you're essentially doing the same thing, Johnny. It's just a longer ride. Well, here's the biggest difference is with, uh, with day trading, you're buying individual stocks. And there's always a chance that one individual stock is not going to recover. While an index fund, you know, let's say the S&P 500, it'll be very difficult for the S&P 500 to never recover. If it does, the US is really going to be not just in a recession, but it's going to be in a complete collapse. And, you know, the, the world will pretty much change or, at least, you know, maybe even end as we know it, if that ever mm -hmm. happens. If the US, you know, uh, economy ever just goes away and never recovers, it's, it's, we're going to have bigger problems. So I don't think that's going to happen uh, in our lifetime, at least. So, that's why I'm okay with holding a broad index fund, you know, while I'm not okay with holding individual stocks because any one company can never recover. I mean, even, you know, big companies like Coca-Cola, we don't think it's ever going to go out of business because it's, it's been around for so long, but there's a chance that one day, you know, it just goes down and it just never recovers because it is just one company, you know, things can change. So that's why I personally don't like uh, individual stock picking. I, I, I liked that they limit that downside to 2% where, you know, if it doesn't recover uh, after your, after, you know, X amount of hours, they sell it, you lose 2%, um, you know, no big deal. But at the same time, you can only do that so many times until your portfolio, you know, is cut in half. And once, and it's not even that you lose it all, but let's say it's cut in half, then it's really hard to even get back to where you were. Uh, and then for you to actually make money from that is even even harder, especially if there is a down, downturn or a recession. 
I'm a big believer that the only reason why day trading has worked so well these last 10 years is because the, the market just keeps going up. You know, it might dip down for a few hours or a few days or a month, but it just keeps going up. And we've been in a bull run for the last 10 years. A recession will come one day and we don't know when that's going to be. You know, it probably should have already, uh, it, it should probably already come, you know, if it wasn't for other market forces or political forces. But I think that day traders right now, it's, it's an easy, smart move because things kind of just generally go up. But I don't know what's going to happen the next time there's a recession. That makes sense. And the thing is, though, he's, it sounds like Roger is just he's, he's all in or he's all out. So should a recession hit, um, his, his money is just sitting in cash is, is what it seems. So maybe there's something to that. And, and it sounds like he's shorting stocks as well. And I'm, I'm not a person that shorts stocks just because I don't fully understand how it works. And I don't want to invest in anything that I don't understand that works. What do you think about shorting the market? You know what? Uh, I think it's it's a necessary tool to kind of weed out you know bad companies with bad um, you know accounting principles or whatever it is, but at the same time, like that's not that's not my job. You know that's not you know, and, and I think companies that just short you know just to push prices down artificially, uh, even though the company's actually doing well, I think that's. You know, I don't want to say rude, but like it's it's not a positive for the you know for the economy or, or or the world. So I'm not a big fan of shorting, but I understand why it exists. My my biggest kind of gripe and the, the main reason why I don't like buying individual stocks in general is even if you had a slight edge, let's say a 51% chance of coming up on top, we forget that there's something called short-term capital gain stacks which is basically, you know, 30 to 37% plus your California 10, you know, eight to 10%. So basically if you day trade, you're going to spend, you know, probably 40 or 45% of those, those profits in tax. So not only do you have to just win by a little bit, you have to win by a lot versus just holding an index fund for more than a year, you know, selling it and then paying, you know, uh, long-term capital gains, which is much, much, much lower. Sure. And another thing that, you know, maybe if you want to mitigate taxes a little bit, you're still into individual stocks is, you know, looking at holding a stock long-term for the dividend. So one of my biggest holdings is AT&T and they have a 7% dividend and it's been the same dividend for years. There's really not much of a threat of it getting cut and the stock price is super stable. So I, I like stuff like that because where else are you going to get, you know, a 7% return plus maybe potential for your stock to go up as well. Yeah. I think we had a, a full episode about dividend uh, stock investing and and if we didn't, we, sh- we should have one. Um, but I think that's a, uh, that's something that a lot of people kind of, it seems logical to just get a paid a stock, you know, you know, paid a super high dividend while also having the potential of growth. But I think, the reason why it normally doesn't work out that way is, you know, there's no such thing as, as free money. Like that money comes from somewhere. So it'd be interesting. I, I'm, do you know if we've done an episode on that yet? Yeah, I just looked it up. Uh, I Lab one or I Lab forty two, excuse me, but it was uh, dividend investing. What you need to know in twenty seventeen. So maybe we should update that and yeah, get yeah. someone to talk about some dividends because I love seeing those, you know, little bits of uh, cash flow into your account. You go, ooh little bonus today. <laughs> you know what, Derek, that is your episode. Find a guest and you can ask him all your questions about your AT&T stock. Cool. I'm all about it. So day trading is out for you, Johnny. Um, it's, it's pretty much out for me too, because 
you know, with my business, I'm, I'm, I'm out running around all day and I don't have time to just stare at computer screens and, and it looks like a lot of stress just to me, like a, a lot of unneeded stress. And I like to get up and move around. I'm not the guy that wants to sit at a computer all day. And I think that's why I kind of do what I do. And I do do some shorter term trades, but I've, I, I don't do anything within the same day, except this year was the exception because, you know, like I said, I like to try out what we talk about. Um, I did, what was it this year or late last year when uh, the DoorDash and Airbnb IPOs came out? I actually did trade those within the same day and made it made a small profit, you know, not not anything to to go crazy about, but I did make, you know, a few bucks off those trades off the IPO dates. And that was like fun it. and exciting. <laughs> Yeah, Derek's parts our resident guinea pig. <laughs> I like it. I'm not going to like the taxes at the end of the year, but it's okay. We'll worry about that later. Yeah. So, guys, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope to see all of you out here in Kiev, Ukraine. Derek, thank you so much for being part of the team. This is going to be your kind of one-year anniversary present for us flying you out here to hang out uh, and all the bosses, we would love for you to be out here. Join the Patreon and join, you know, join this club of, uh, you know, bosses who travel and hang out and just do cool stuff. So, Derek, have a safe flight, buddy. Thanks. I'll see you soon. And hopefully see all you out there. Go to patreon.com slash invest like a boss or check out invest like a boss. Click the Patreon tab. We will see you all in Ukraine. See you later. That's we done, guys. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment folios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.